invite you to open your Bible with me this morning to Paul's letter to the Galatians chapter 6 as we're coming near to the end of this wonderful little letter, Galatians chapter 6, and our text this morning is going to be verses 6 through 10. Just as we're opening the word, just um, some of you asked how Randy's doing. The biopsies did finally come back and show that the cancer has spread outside the stomach into the abdominal uh, wall. And so that means that instead of four rounds of chemo, he has to do eight. And um, so they were uh, disappointed, obviously, by that. But thank you for your prayers and encouragement. And we'll just continue to, um, to lift them up before the Lord. Joanne's mom was also um, still d- doing um, very, very, very weak, but... but uh, joyful in the Lord, and so we're just uh, walking with her through these days as well. So thank you for your prayers. Galatians chapter 6, let's pick it up, verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's ask the Lord to bless Our God in heaven, now as we open your word, inspired by your spirit, we pray that you uh, would help us understand it, and that this word, Lord, would would change the way we think and and impact how we feel and and what we do. I pray, Lord, that um, this this word would bear fruit in our life for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, as you can see, it is uh, springtime here in Michigan, and praise the Lord, Springtime is a wonderful time as, as uh, things began just to come to life. Uh, springtime on the, on the farm was uh, one of my favorite times of the season. It sure, certainly was for the cows as they got to go out of the barn finally after a long winter. But uh, the earth warms up and, and uh, springtime was seeding time. Uh, boys and girls, uh, one of the things that I noticed uh, on the farm was that no matter what we planted, whatever we put in the ground, that's what came out of the ground. So if we put corn in the ground, we got corn plants out of the ground. If we put uh, oats, alfalfa, it didn't matter what we planted, that's what we got. It never failed. We, we never once planted uh, oats and got corn. Uh, we were never surprised that way. Now, boys and girls, you might think that's not that surprising, and, uh, and you'd be correct, because we know that's how it works, isn't it? God has uh, created His world in the natural realm uh, with this fundamental principle that each plant bears fruit according to its own kind. And so what you sow, that's what you reap. Uh, only a foolish person would uh, plant beans right, and expect to get cucumbers. We think that'd be a very foolish farmer, foolish gardener. Well, boys and girls, uh, Paul wants us to understand uh, one, one of the things that we, we see in our text this morning is that there are a lot of foolish people. When it comes to the spiritual realm, a lot of people who think that you can, you can uh, plant sin and get blessing, that you can uh, sow to the flesh your natural sinful self and reap something other than corruption. There are many people who think that it's possible to live on your terms, uh, to actually 
just go your way, believing in God, but living your life on your terms and thinking that you have God's blessings. And spiritually speaking then, um, we just need to understand these are foolish people. They're sowing onions and expecting daffodils, and it doesn't work that way. And so we have in our text here this, this principle of sowing and reaping. And so we'll be looking at the principle, and then we'll be looking at the practice, and then thirdly, at the promise. The principle is pretty straightforward. <coughs> it begins with a warning. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Uh, Paul begins with a warning because uh, people are uh, routinely and glaringly deceived. All of us suffer from this. Uh, the, the word deceived is in the passive tense. It's something that happens to us or maybe something we do to ourselves. We lie to ourselves. Um, Paul wants us to remember that we do not wage war with flesh and blood, but with, with principalities and powers. The devil is at work and his work is deception. He lies all the time. It's all he does. He's the father of lies. And he deceives people. His lives are clever. They're convincing. And people are world over deceived as the devil blinds the minds of people. And so that they prefer things that bring death instead of preferring uh, the goodness and glory of God that brings everlasting life. Well, the devil has allies, of course. The world and the flesh are both in on this game of deception. And in verse 8 now, Paul shows that he has a particular kind of deception in mind. There's a particular sort of lie that Paul says, I want to warn you about. It's one of the devil's favorite lies. It's the idea that we can sin, that we can sow to the flesh, we can, we can sin and avoid the consequences. Phil Reckon says the deception Paul has in mind is one of the most popular falsehoods of our time. It is the lie that I can do whatever I want without ever being held accountable for what I have done. It is the lie that I can sin with impunity. This is one of the devil's very favorite lies. Um, the idea that you can live as you choose and indulge in your sin and disregard God's commands and there won't be any consequences. Nothing will happen. No one will find out. Nothing will be lost. That's the lie he told Eve. Remember in the garden? One of the very first lies. God did not say, uh, you should surely die. He didn't, he didn't mean like die, die. He's just nervous you're going to be like him. Um, this fruit is good and it's, and it's good for you. It'll help you. It'll help you develop and gain knowledge you've never had before. And there won't be a price to pay, right? God's, God, he doesn't mind. And so she was deceived and, and she ate. And we're suffering the penalty and the results of that ever since. Now, um, we've all believed this lie at one time or another. And some of you undoubtedly are believing that lie this morning. You're involved in some sin and you've told yourself or the devil has convinced you that there's not going to be any consequences that are worth paying attention to. 
You, you can just keep living unrepentantly in your sin. So, so whether you're, you're giving into drunkenness or getting high or you're giving into greed, you're giving into sexual immorality, you're giving into envy or to bitterness, um, you're believing the lie and so you're not seeking to break free from it. You may feel pangs of conscience, right? It might bother you a bit. But you're holding on to the sin. You, you don't have any intention of, of breaking from it. You're not fleeing to Christ to be rescued from it. And, and if, that is, if I've just described you, well, then, then God is a word for you. He is not mocked. He's not mocked. The Greek word for mocked has, has to do with the nose. It's the picture of a person just turning up their nose, right? You, um, maybe, maybe parents, you, you, you've said something to your little one, and in a spirit of rebellion, they just turn up their nose and, and turn and walk away. Okay, not a good day. The, um, the word here is exactly that sense. Uh, the, the point is that when we willfully ignore God's commands, that we're, we're just turning up our nose at God, uh, forget you, God, I'm going to do it my way. And then we go off and we do it our way. And, and you actually, you can do that. You can make that choice. You can choose to ignore God's commands. You really, you really can. We do, right? You can keep sleeping with your boyfriend. You can keep harboring bitterness in your heart. You can keep uh, serving idols of success and money and pleasure. You can do that. You just can't get away with it. There are going to be consequences. You're going to reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. God is not mocked. Verse 8, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. And that word, again, the word corruption has the sense of gradual decay. Gradual um, breaking down and breaking apart. So when you sow to the flesh, when you decide to just do it your way and go your way, big or small things, when you indulge your sin, you're seeding cancer into your soul. You're injecting a poison that will slowly rot you on the inside, your mind and your heart and your spirit. And you see this with people who indulge in drunkenness or drugs. You see with men who give themselves to, to sexual lust or pornography or, or, or immorality. Or women who give themselves to gossip and, and, and deep self-centeredness and bitterness. You see, natural youth and vigor, energy can conceal the inner rot for a time. But by the time these people hit you know, 40, 50, certainly 60... The signs are there. Uh, there's a vacancy in the eye, a weariness in the face, a thinness to the soul. The, the inner corruption is, is starting to show. And, and what's true of our personal life is, is also true of our relationships. If, if you sow to the flesh in your marriage, if you, if you sow to selfishness, you sow to pettiness, to emotional neglect, to taking each other for granted. You're sowing corruption, and at some point it's going to show. That's why marriages often flounder after the kids leave the house. Because the, the busyness of life was able to cover over 
the, the, the corruption, but now it's just the two of you and all of the things you failed to build into your marriage. We reap what we sow. Now there's, we got to get right that point very clear, and yet we have to understand that point in the context of Paul's letter to the Galatians. We have to, uh, we got to put this principle in the context of the gospel. One of the things that surprised me as I was uh, reading and uh, commentaries, listening to sermons on this text, was uh, how seldom anyone referenced the gospel. Uh, I heard over and over that, that this principle of sowing and reaping is an inviolable spiritual principle. We always reap what we sow and we reap in precise relation to what we sow. That this is a non-negotiable, immutable law of the spirit world. Well, we just need to be careful. You see, the, the problem with that sort of blanket definition is that it doesn't leave any room for the gospel. We have to keep this in its context. Paul cannot mean to say something here at the end of the letter to Galatians that would deny or ignore all the things he's told us in the rest of the book. Because this is a letter about the gospel. And the gospel is the incredibly good news that at the most fundamental level in Christ, We don't reap what we sow. We reap what Jesus sowed. Isn't that the gospel? So the message of the gospel is that God does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not reward us according to our iniquities. But he he deals with us according to his steadfast love and faithfulness and goodness in Jesus Consequently, see, if the gospel is true and you are in Christ, your life is not determined by a strict law of sowing and reaping. The primary principle of Paul's life was not the principle of sowing and reaping, but but living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That was the primary principle of his life. And we need to keep that clear because we easily uh, can revert back to sort of our legalist natural selves where we, we tend to think God is dealing with us or will deal with us strictly according to our sin. Have you ever, um, faced some trial or sickness or loss and thought to yourself, this must be payment for my sin, my past sin. I always wondered when the, when the shoe was going to drop, and, and now it has. God gave me this disabled uh, or special needs child because, because I was reckless and sinful in my youth. Or I haven't been, I haven't been doing my devotions very well, and so that's why I've got, I've got the sickness. I'm, I'm sick today. Right? We can, we can easily just think in terms of a strict law of sowing and reaping. How many of you don't have secret fears about your future because you're convinced somewhere deep down that at some point the past is going to catch up with you? And the sins that you committed back then, at some point you're going to reap the harvest of that. Well, friends, that, I've said it before, that's karma. That's not Christianity. 
Our lives are not driven by the cold law of consequences, but by loving, fatherly, Christ-bought providences. There is not an immutable relationship between your present circumstances and your past sins. That relationship was broken when Jesus died in your place. Jesus nailed the cold consequences of your sin to the cross. Jesus reaped the bitter harvest of your sin and mine. And Jesus on that cross gave to us the glorious harvest of His own righteousness. He bore all the bitter harvest of our sin on the cross. He gave us all the glorious harvest of His righteousness on the cross. So that what God, how God deals with us now is He deals with according to the gospel if we're in Jesus Christ, according to all that Christ accomplished, has accomplished. But some of you are saying, what about the consequences of sin? Right, if you, if you uh, continually drive over the speed limit, at some point you're, you're going to get a ticket. If you give yourself over to drunkenness, at some point you're going to end up in jail. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your family. Aren't those consequences? Well, of course they are. Of course they are. But it is not a strict relationship, is there? There's not a strict relationship between our consequences, between our sin and, and, and our life, what we experience. Isn't that true? Because if there were a strict relationship, when you sin, you would die. And you don't die. Why not? Because God is he's merciful. He's gracious. And every consequence of your sin that He does allow into your life is sovereignly created and intended and and molded by God for your benefit. So yes, if you drink and 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 uh, you, you might lose your job, and and there will, if you are a child of God, you might even end up in prison. And there will be something about those experiences that are uniquely designed to rescue you, to deepen you, to change you, to grow you. I hope that's good news to you. This warning is, well, let's just back up. So how do we understand this principle, right? Because here it says, what you sow, you reap. Well, the key word is mocked. God is not mocked. If you are knowingly and unrepentantly living in sin, you are mocking God. And God will not be mocked. You will not get away with it. And if you're His child, He will bring consequences painful enough to rescue you. If you are not His child, and you continue in your unrepentance, He will give you over to your sin, and harden your heart, and you will be lost. He will not be mocked. But see, this text is not meant for, for children of God who hate their sin, who grieve their sin, who confess their sin, and are striving daily to repent and turn from their sin. Confessed sin is, is forgiven sin, and it's forgotten sin. So this is not meant to threaten the children of God. It's meant to warn those who are sowing to the flesh unrepentantly. 
There's also good news here. There's a word of encouragement. Those who sow to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. What does it mean to sow to the Spirit? Well, it means in our text, uh, intentionally blessing other people. So let's look at the practice of the Christian life here. Verses 6 through 10 hold together as a paragraph. And uh, the principle of sowing and reaping that we see in verses 7 and 8 is, uh, it seems to flow directly from verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. In other words, the first example of sowing to the Spirit is found in paying your pastors. Let's just camp here for a while. <clears throat> no, let's not. But, but Paul means what he says, and he says it in other places as well. This isn't the only time he mentions this. This is a very basic principle of Christian religion, true religion. Uh, it goes all the way back to the Old Testament when Israelites were commanded to tithe to provide for the Levites, the priests. They, the, the priests were commanded to serve the, the grace of God, in a sense, through, the, through the, the ceremonies and sacrifices to the people, and the people were to provide for them. And that same principle carries over into the New Testament. So general fund giving, what we just did, it's not a membership fee. It's not a tax. It is uh, part of that general fund is to provide for those who teach you the word. It's sowing to the Spirit. We should be excited about sowing to the Spirit. Giving 10% of our income to the work of the gospel um, is, is wonderful investment right, in eternal things. So, so the, this act of sowing begins, Paul says, verse 6, with providing for your pastors. He gives another example of sowing in verse 10. Sowing to the Spirit involves doing good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Uh, in the Bible, doing good, good works, um, are almost always associated with how you treat other people, specifically acts of kindness and acts of charity, um, generosity, compassion. So the good Samaritan is good because he cared for the very practical needs of the poor man who had been beaten up. Uh, in Acts, you can read about Dorcas, who was... Um, a woman who is known to be full of good work and acts of charity. It's a very good, rich life. You see, a God-honoring life isn't just about what we stop doing. It's about what we begin to do. Here we see this, this very important connection between theology and practice. That, that being a good Christian, even a good reformed Christian, doesn't just mean you have your theology straight. It means that that theology is actually doing something in your life. It's changing how you see people and how you engage and interact with people. And, it, and, and it's giving you a compassionate, generous heart. So Paul will say in Ephesians 4.28, Let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. We work not just to provide for ourselves, but to share with, with people who are in need. 1 Timothy 6.18, The rich are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. The evidence, you see, of a, of a spirit-changed heart is not just proper theology, the, the evidence of a spirit-changed heart and a spirit-filled life is a generous, sharing, kind, compassionate person. 
Someone who notices other people in pain and engages or other people in need and loves to move towards that need and help. That generosity is meant for everyone, Paul says, believers and unbelievers. Do good to all. One of the things, if you study church history, one of the things that um, really helped the early church grow rapidly was exactly this, that they were not just kind to, the, to uh, brothers and sisters of the faith. The pagans were shocked at how kind the Christians were to pagans. That they, care, they were outdoing the pagans and caring for the pagans. George Grant has pointed out in one of his books that, that uh, the welfare system has, uh, in, in our country has really interfered with and weakened the church's witness. It used to be that the church was the primary means of caring for the poor. If you had a need uh, and you, you went to the church in town and, and they helped you, and, and, and through that, the church um, had an had a ability to impact positively uh, the community and, and the cause of Christ. But when, the, when the, the government takes that over in welfare and the church gives it over to them, Suddenly now we just tell poor people to go, to go to the government, right? Those who are in need. And that has harm both for the poor and for the witness of the church. It's something to seriously think about. How are we, right here now, how does God want us to engage our community and meet actual needs? Uh, the deacons are already doing this as people come, but, but how could we intentionally look at our community and, and begin ministering intentionally to the needs of our community in a way that, that ministers the mercy of Christ and shows the love of Christ. I'm excited about calling an evangelist to come and help lead that effort. But there is an, an especially here. Do good to all, especially to those of the household of faith. Charity must begin at home. It can't stay at home, but it must begin at home. So how do we treat one another? How do, are we caring for one another? Well, I love to, to see not just uh, generous, benevolent offerings, but to hear stories of brothers and sisters in the church who are bringing meals, uh, helping with child care, um, giving gifts that allow maybe a young couple to go and, and get a little break for a while, um, helping people who have lost their job to take care of uh, house payments. Those things happen all the time. Praise the Lord. That is evidence of a spirit-filled congregation. And we're to do this as we have opportunity. Now, I have to confess that I've misunderstood what Paul means here. Um, I thought Paul meant that if an opportunity comes along, then you should do what you can to meet it. And if an opportunity doesn't come along, don't worry about it. Well, I think Reichen is right to point out that that's not what... Um, that's not what Paul has in mind. The word opportunity is the same word as for season, like a growing season. In other words, there is a allotted time, an allotted season for doing good. It's called this life. And when this life is over, that season is done. And now it's just harvest time. And, and the Bible teaches that there will be rewards in heaven given to God's children that relate directly to the seed God's children sowed, the, the good works that they did here in this life. There is a relation there. 
It's not merited. It's not that we, we get to take our good works like Chuck E. Cheese, little coupons, you know, and you slap it on the counter and you point to the mansion you want. It's not merited. It's all grace. But in heaven, there will be rewards for seeds that have been sown, for good works that have been done by the Holy Spirit. And that then finally brings us to the promise. So let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. God calls us, you see, to view our life and our, our, uh, our giving, our sharing, our possessions, to, to view all of what we have as an investment in eternal things. Now we just have to realize giving doesn't seem like investing. Putting money in your 401, that seems like investing. Buying a, a, a house that, that you can sell again later as, after its value goes up, that seems like investing. Sowing seed doesn't seem like investing. Uh, uh, Eric Alexander just points out that, you know, think back to how people, for most of the history of the world, used to sow seed. A farmer would grab a, a bag of seed and he'd stick his hand in and he'd just start walking through the field throwing the seed away. And... Uh, the better the farmer was, the more generous and promiscuous he was with the seed. There's seed going everywhere. Well, it looks like wasting something, but obviously it's not. It's investing something, and, and the more that is thrown away, the greater the harvest. On the flip side, to save seed is to waste it. Eric Alexander talks about uh, rummaging through his garage, and he finds a, uh, some packets of seeds that that sometime way back when they moved, he had stuck in a box and put it on a shelf, and 20 years later, now he stumbles across this box of seeds. Well, you could say, nice job, Eric, you really saved those seeds. But of course, he didn't save those seeds at all. He wasted those seeds. You see, they didn't get invested. They were meant to be sown. And by not sowing them, they've, they've been wasted. And friends, it's the same with our, with our time and our life and our possessions. Hoarding those things. Now again, God gives us right things to provide for ourselves. Praise God that he does and all things are freely to enjoy. But, but he doesn't give us things just to enjoy. He gives us seed to sow. Seed to be sown in the lives of other people. Let us not grow weary of doing good. And he gives us this great encouragement. In due season, we'll, we will reap. There's a, there's a great call for us to invest your life, your time, your money, your energy, your gifts into people and into the cause of Christ, into things that matter to God. By the power of the Spirit, we can live lives that matter eternally, that bear eternal fruit. Now, what would the application of this sermon look like in your life? I'm not going to apply this. Uh, I want you to apply this as you're led by the Holy Spirit. Let me just give you a couple things to think about. Where have you been investing your time and your thoughts and your money and, and, uh, and efforts foolishly? Where have you just been pouring it into things that are passing away or simply pouring it into yourself and saving it instead of investing. Just think about your life, how you spend your time, how you spend your money. You know, the, um, a lot of talk going on about the COVID relief bill and uh, I think $1,400 going to, to every uh, American. I did some quick math. 
Uh, we have over 700 people uh, on the rolls at Harvest Church. You know what? Uh, $1,400 times a little over 700. You know what that equals? Equals a million dollars. So we're going to get a million dollars. Money we didn't work for. Money we didn't ask for. It's going to show up in the mail. The difference is going to be, you see, uh, what's going to matter is, do you see that as seed or not? How could we invest that million dollars to do good works? What people do you know in your life that could really use some help? What need do you see in the community around you? that you could, in the name of Jesus Christ, minister to? What might there be for, in the church or for the cause of Christ that, that you could sow that seed trusting that there's, it's an investment and it's, there's going to be a harvest for you? We get an opportunity to actually do exactly what the text calls us to do. And to do it believing exactly what the text tells us. But there's a harvest. In due season, there's a harvest that we are going to reap. And so I'm just going to ask you to think about these things, to go home and talk with your family and to ask together, how might this message actually impact how I live? If the gospel is true and I belong to Jesus Christ, and he gave his life for me to free me from bondage to self and to free me to love others and to, to invest in his cause, what would that look like as I live my life sowing and reaping to the Spirit? May God give you the answers. Let's pray. Well, God in heaven, I thank you so much that you've rescued us from the consequences of our sin. We have sowed to the flesh a thousand times in ways. And yet, Lord Jesus, when we have come to you confessing our sin, you have forgiven us time and time and time again with eagerness and joy. Father, I pray for any this morning who are living unrepentantly in sin, that they're caught in the bondage of self and sin. And Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, help them to clearly understand that you are not mocked and that sin is not to be trifled with. Lord, I pray for those who have a hard time believing that the gospel is sufficient for their sin, that have secret fear that at some point they're going to pay. And Lord, I pray that you'd help them to understand that Jesus has paid. He's paid it all. And all to him we owe. Lord, I pray you would set us free as a congregation to, um, to great acts of generosity. That, Lord, you would um, give us the ability to part with our money, and give of our time to care for other people and to care for the cause of Christ in a way that, Lord, um, we experience the joy of sowing and investing and to see the joy that it gives to others and the way it honors you and the way it blesses us. Lord, I, I pray that your word this morning would, would impact our life and transform our life. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. We're going to stand together and sing from the hymnal 638, Savior, thy dying love thou gavest me. Let's stand together. <laughs>